0: you to turn to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2 beginning in verse 17. Before we do that, I want to say this. I want to thank God and I want to thank you for so graciously welcoming me and Molly and Grace and Paul and Elijah and Barnabas and Mary. Did I miss any? No, I think I got them. Um, To to your family and to this church. We love being here. We love the fact that we are starting out and what we hope will be a long time of being in the Word of God together with you, being enjoying the reality of what the Scriptures speak of, of, of the union that we have in Christ. And you've been very patient with me as I get in here and get to know a lot of you, and some of you not very well yet, but I look forward to getting to know you. And we've been going through my first series, and I have entitled it First Things First. We must make the main thing the main thing the main thing. And the First Things First was a series that is not a sermon series that I put together in the past and preached at some other church. In fact, as during the summer, late summer into the fall, I wanted to say, okay, what would be the most important things for me as a pastor, as a leader, to lead any church at any time, because this book drives me to do that. What what are foundational? We, we went through seven things with the deacons a few weeks ago, and we're going to look at some other things in the cu- next couple weeks, but... I took these seven things, and I want to take them into seven sermons, and I'm on the fourth sermon on that. And in the last few weeks, we looked at, first, the Word of God. The Word of God is the authority for all things, and it should drive everything we believe and how we know about God. In fact, the Word of God tells us what we must believe about God and what God requires of us. Then we looked at the glorious God that is revealed, that God reveals in His Word. And His glory. And how we are to anchor our entire soul in God and His glory. It's not, enough, it's not just about some obedient little robots that live in this earth. But He calls human beings to a relationship with Him and joy in Him forever. And it starts now. And that is only possible through what we saw last week. The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel which is our power. The gospel which is the righteousness of God on one side, I am declared righteous. And I have the power of the Holy Spirit now, those two bookends of the Christian life. And I'll, I want to bring out those those points in the next several months, especially as we get into Colossians actually in January. But I want to take I want each week for us to come to God's Word and take this hand Do you remember what I said goes on each finger of this hand? Christ died for my sins. That's the gospel. That's the summary of the gospel. It's so much more than that. But that is a foundation of the gospel that that the implications are so great and so grand. They're so personal to us. We are to take this hand, Christ died for my sins. And we take that hand with the book in the hand. And we study it. And we say, as we look at each passage, we see how Christ died for my sins impacts how I read this word, the implications of this word. This word is not a book that I need to try to, I need to obey so I can get to heaven. No, Christ died for my sins according to the scriptures. But Christ died for my sins means this book is a, a letter to from God to me that is good news. He is good. He is gracious. And one of the things that I want to as we move into the next first thing, I want to talk about our mission. I don't expect you to remember this, but some of you note takers or some of you with great memories might have remembered that on August thirtieth was my Sunday where I candidated. I came here and, and then you voted for me afterwards and he called me to be your pastor, and on that 30th, I preached a sermon called Our Mission. And in that, I preached from the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations, and that is our mission. And in, in some ways, I, as I put together these seven sermons, and I'm, I'm still in the process of doing this, this is for my sake as much as it is for your sake. As I studied the subject of our mission, especially the church's mission, and think of it, all of us are the church. The church isn't a building, but I think you know that. The church isn't just services. I hope you know that. The church is, I'm going to define that in just a few minutes, but it is His people. His people that come together, you are the church. Think of it, the church is like a great omelet, and each believer is an egg in that omelet. You need to have a quality of eggs to make a good omelet. And so God has called an omelet to be made. He's called a church to be made, a gathering, an assembly of God's people. And he has a great mission for that. My desire for this morning isn't for you just to hear this message and go, that's good. I was My mind was instructed, so now I can answer a question, what is the church for? I hope that happens, but I hope much more happens. I hope that as a result of this message, first of all, you go, oh, what great love God has for me, that he would include me in this. I know that some of you might be sitting here I hope that most of you who have been sitting here for a long time at Faith Baptist Church wouldn't say this, but you've been around, some of you have been around long enough to know that what has often been associated as the church has not been a pleasant place, hasn't been a pleasant people, has not been an experience where you see harmony and unity and love and joy pray that as a result of this, as we look at what God's word says about the mission of the church, you come away going, God is so good. And I am part of that, and I am so loved. That's first. I also hope you see, this is a grand thing. God in his wisdom is designed, and I'm part of it. And this has real implications for how I'm supposed to order my life For my own joy, and for the joy of my family, and for the joy of everyone in this room, the one that's sitting in front of you, behind you, and on the sides of you. And this has implications for people that are not in this room, but are in the town, or the school you go to, or work in the work cubicle next to you. Let's read Ephesians chapter two, verses seventeen through twenty-two. Each week, on your in your bulletin, I will try. We will try to include the main scripture passage. So, if you don't have your Bible, you can open. You can take out that bulletin, that half sheet of paper that you got. On the back side is the scripture that I'm going to read. It's also going to be up on the screen. Ephesians chapter two. I'm just going to read two passages in Ephesians chapter two and chapter three, mainly for. I want you to as you hear. I want you to just start putting putting your thinking on in regards to God's master plan of bringing together a people called the church. The church. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 17 through 22. This is the, these are the words of Paul writing to the church in Ephesus. Therefore, right, I'm sorry, verse 17. And he came and he Preached peace to you who were far off, that's the Gentiles, and peace to those who were near the Jews, for through him, Jesus, we have both have access in one Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to the Father, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens. "...with the saints, and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure..." Now follow that. We're a structure now. We we are a building. We're a household and a building. Christ is the cornerstone. The foundation is the prophets and the apostles in whom the structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Holy Spirit. And then in chapter 3, verses 8-10, through Paul says, To me, though I am the very least of the saints, this grace was given me To preach to the Gentiles, and that's us, the unsearchable riches of Christ, the gospel. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities In heavenly places. Before I pray, I want you to ponder this. Through the church, the incomparable wisdom of God is actually being put on display to angels and demons, to spiritual authorities and powers in the heavenly places. It's astounding. Father, I admit that I cannot preach your word present this message in any fruitful, beneficial way apart from your grace. But I ask that you would do it. You would speak through me and you would use the outline, you would use your word, you would use this gathering, this setting, would you remove distractions? And I pray that for these few minutes, you would fill us with the knowledge of your will, with all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that we may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to you in every good work, bearing fruit and increasing, so that we would be a great testimony to your grace in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Knowing our mission is important. Activity and busyness in any, any job or workplace or business is not good enough. Ask any of you in this room that run a business or manage a certain aspect of the business. You would quickly say, it's not about just busyness. Because busyness can be really unprofitable. Knowing our mission of what we're supposed to do. And what we're to be about is really important. What are the deacons supposed to meet about? What are the pastors supposed to decide on? What should we do when we come in what we call these business meetings that we have like on November 22nd when after church we gather? Why do we do such a thing? What's the purpose? What drives our budget? And what should drive... Why why would we... Take offerings and give it to pastors, and give it to missionaries, and give it to a building, and give it to different ministries that we do. We it should all be in line because we understand that we have been given a mission. We've been given a purpose, and I want to talk to you about that this morning. We can get, we get the purpose or mission of the church in the scriptures through different looking at pouring over the scriptures and seeing several things. We see it through. The general statements of God's word about the general purpose of God. That God calls us to glorify him by loving him and loving others. That must drive our mission. And we, we get the mission by looking at statements by the apostles, which are the foundation. Remember, Paul said this, the apostles are the foundation, so the letters are the foundation. For us in the church to get our purpose, to get our mission And so, this morning, I want to talk about what is the church, what is our mission, and so what? What is the church? What is the mission of that church? And so, what difference does that make in our lives, in your life, this morning, this week? So, let's look at that. What is the church? I wanted you to hear a few verses from the New Testament about the church. I just read to you the fact... That the church is a whole structure being joined together, growing into a holy temple in the Lord. In Jesus, we are being built up into a dwelling place by the Spirit. There are numerous metaphors. There There are word pictures in the Bible about the church. And I'm going to bring out some of them this morning. And they inform us to really get what our mission is. Here's some verses about the church. Jesus said to Peter in those famous words that many take out of context, including the Roman Catholic Church, and you, Peter, on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Acts 20, 28, Paul says to the elders of the church, the pastors and shepherds, that we're in Ephesus. He says, be careful, pay careful attention to yourself and to the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which He obtained with His own blood. Whatever it is, this church and all the churches out there, the true church of God, Christ obtained with His blood. It's really valuable. It's really, really valuable. It is something that the gates of hell will not prevail against. It is a house that is being built up for a dwelling place for God. Here's another statement to the church in 1 Corinthians 1-2. To the church of God that is in Corinth. Now imagine writing to this church. To the church of God in Linden. This is now describing you. To those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. And lastly, First Corinthians twelve, now you are the body of Christ, and individually members of it. What is the church? Do you have an answer for what the church is? Here's one answer. You might not be able to write this down, but it's out, the sermon notes are online because this is a long definition. But I want you just to take it in. The church is made up of redeemed sinners who have been purchased by Christ's blood and as a result have been born again by the Spirit of God. They have been called they have, and they have called upon the name of the Lord to be saved and in Christ's righteousness not their own. They have been marked by baptism and are now a people being sanctified in Christ Jesus, called from all over the world, both Jew and Gentile, from every tongue and people and nation. She is called the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the household of God, God's temple, and the branches from the vine. She is compared to a family with each person a brother, sister, father, or mother, God being the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. She is a house that is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ as the chief cornerstone. The church is said to be one body with many members, all given different functions. Everyone is an important member, given a specific gift, for the sake of the good of the entire body. Christ is the head of the body where the church gets its direction and its source of life. The church is the bride of Christ that is being purified and cleansed and someday will be without blemish for a day when she is presented to God the Father in glory. Although Jesus is absent in body on this earth, his spirit dwells in his body, the church, in order that the church would fulfill his will as a royal priesthood who go and make disciples of all nations with the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ and therefore shine as lights in the world through the power of the Spirit that now dwells in her. The church was given through the word of truth and is therefore the pillar and bulwark of the truth as it faithfully claims to the Holy Scriptures. The church will not ultimately be overcome. For Christ is committed to building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And all of this is to the praise of the glory of his grace. Did you get that? It is the bride of Christ. It is the the temple of God. It is Christ's body here on earth. It is the bride that Christ is purifying for his name to be presented. It is the vine and we, we are the branches. Jesus is the vine. With all that said, I want to simplify it because this is real relevant for us to determine are the ministries that we have on Sunday morning, this service right now, the ABF and Sunday school that we just had from 945 to 1045, the things that go on right after church out in the hallway, or go out go in small groups that are taking place on Sunday or throughout the week, on Wednesday nights, whether the, the, these... I'm going to give you three things about the mission, church's and mission and purpose. Three important things. Three is easy to remember. You see these three things, and in fact, at the end, I hope you're going to actually see them not just reflect on the church itself, on what the church's mission is, but your own Three very important aspects of your own individual life and growth in God. We're going to see that at the end. But I want you to see three very important purposes. And I would say that these are the driving purposes that when we meet as deacons, we meet as membership meetings, when we gather together, we say, are these three things being lived out? Are we doing these things? Are we fulfilling our mission here are these three things. I have been helped by many sources. The, the Word of God drives us. This is a unique... These, these seven sermons are a little bit different in the fact that when we get into Colossians, not too long from now, we'll take small section after small section and make the main passage, that passage, drive everything in the sermon. This is a type of sermon where we take the entire Word of God, we bring and say, okay, what is the Scriptures, if we systematize it and say, what does God collectively teach about the church? We're going to do that this morning. And in we do that, Wayne Grudem helps us in his systematic theology bring out what I want to say will drive us in three very important categories, three purposes of the church. And here they are. Number one, you should be able to fill them in in your notes. Number one, worship. The church exists to worship God. I know that that word could mean so many different things. I mean it to mean what we do in this hour, but I mean it to mean so much more than that. It must include this. There is something special about God's people who gather to hear God's word, to hear God's word preached, to hear God's word read, to pray God's word, to sing God's word. To see God's word in communion. And we gather and we worship God, and that and that alone is a foundational reality of the church. We are a temple that are raised up to worship our glorious God. When people of the world come in, they see a gathered people, all different types of people, from all different types of background. We are in, God is calling. From all different races, all different ethnic backgrounds, all different types of personalities and families, socioeconomic backgrounds. And coming together to be one people who are just passionate about the God that made them and saved them. And we worship Him. We worship Him by coming together. And in reality, I want you to think that that is a primary, one of the primary things we're going to see is... We need to be a worshiping church. I believe that this church is a worshiping church. I'm not saying that not, but that is a foundational principle. We, the purpose of the church is to worship God. Whether we eat or drink or whatever you do, we do all to the glory of God. That's worship. We serve Him. Worship is serving God. There's a way in which we serve God as we come to Him and we say, God, I want to give you my all. I want to give you my offerings, and I want to give you my thanks, and I want to give you my prayers and my dependence. I want to give you my devotion. But what, what we saw last week, Christ died for my sins, I, that is the foundation of my worship. So when I come here, I don't actually come with a hand that says, Here, God, I'm actually giving, contributing to your infinite worth because you need a little bit more for me, God. No. God is so infinite, He is so resourceful, He is so full and complete, lacking nothing. He doesn't need, He doesn't call us to serve Him as though He needs something. He calls us into this service of worship that in reality, as we give unto Him, in reality, it's what we were made for. And in reality, we come and we're saying, God, I need you. I need you to serve me. Not, not serve me as though you're a vending machine that I try to get things out of you and I put 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 prayers in and acts of service so you can give unto me. No. But I so desperately need your help. I need your love. I need you to take Christ died for my sins and help me to see how that applies to how of every aspect of my life. I need you God. And in so reality the worshipping of God's people is actually God's people saying I need to feed upon my God. And we come and we say God I come to you and when we take communion like we will next Sunday. We will say, I need to feed upon you as I look at these ordinances. They're, why else are they physical things for us to see and to look at, to taste, to remember that Christ died for my sins. And that is the source of my relationship with everything else, with, with God, and it gives me purpose in life, we come and we preach the Word. We do something that so many people in our day and age say is old-fashioned, out of date. We don't need to do it. Who sits and listens to a sermon for that long length of time anymore? Nobody does. Not in our day of social media and all technology. We don't need to do that. No, God has ordained for God's preached Word to be His mean of feeding His people. It's not the only way of feeding God's people. It is... We, we study the Word of God on our own. We study it in small groups. But so God intends for us, the church, to be a worshiping people. There are many passages. When Paul was writing in his letters, he would write to, to Colossians and Ephesians. And he would tell them, make sure that the time is short. Be, be careful to use your time wisely. And then he, he breaks out into the things like singing psalms. And you need to gather to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. With thanksgiving in your heart to the Lord. The singing of God's word, the singing of God's people is what the church is meant to We need to be a singing church. The worshiping of God's people. I, I talked with this Jay, I know this is Jay's heart, Pastor Jay, is that we would be a church that we would learn our songs. We would, whether, and for some people, some of these songs will be like, they take work for me to enjoy. And then for somebody, the other cat, there's another category of songs that say, I know they like it, but it takes work for me to enjoy, but I, but I need to look at the content. And I, w- I want to look at the person that's enjoying it. I want to say, I want to I join with them in worshiping God with different songs, but all that are glorifying to God as we sing together. We want to be a singing church, not a church that gets entertained through music, but worships God, reflects His glory says, God, I long for you, and I want more of you. Acts 2.42, the early church did this, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, that's the word of God, the fellowship, we're going to look at that next Sunday, to the breaking of bread, that's communion and, and, and just fellowship, the eating together, and prayers, that's worship. They gathered together to worship God and to be devoted to His Word. That's number one. Number two, I want you to see the second purpose, because it doesn't stop there. The second purpose of this church, the ch- all churches, and that's really how we should determine, is this being a biblically faithful church, is to nurture its serving believers. The first one is to worship serving God. Now, there, these aren't like you check it off the list, and now you move to the second one. We've got that good. We'll move to the next one. No, they all work together. But the second one is nurture, or serving believers. The church exists to nurture, to do a nurturing work. The church has often been compared to a mother. In Scotland, they called it Mother Kirk, which meant it was, it was a mother that cares and nurtures believers. Not the church in and of itself, it's some thing. It's, it's Christ working through His people, through gifted people. And I want you to see some important aspects of this. What is nurture? Well, if you look at the definition, you'll see something like this. A nurt- nurture is the process of caring for and encouraging the growth or development of someone or something. That's what it is to nurture something. It's, it's, to, it's that process of caring and encouraging growth and cultivating and helping so something can flourish. This church is to nourish. This church is designed to worship God and to help you in this room, and me, and people that aren't here yet, or should be here right now, be nurtured. Shepherds nurture. They watch over their sheep. They care for them. They look out. They protect. They feed. They make sure their environment is in the right, right form. They, when they have diseases, they care for them. They look over them. They nurture their sheep and their botanists nurture their plants. They watch carefully. They they make sure that they have the right soil and the right watering and the right nutrients. Parents nurture their children. They watch, make sure that they have the right diet. They make sure that they have the right things coming. They get the right amount of sleep. They care for and nurture their children. So churches nurture those in the church. They nurture. They, here are some verses that when Paul was speaking, they do exactly what Paul said, Christ, what we do to our body all the time. That's what we do. We nurture. I take care. I got up this morning, and I got ready. I took a shower. I got ready. I put on clothes. I ate. I made sure I was full. I made sure all things were taken care of. What is that? I'm nurturing myself. That's what Paul said that all men do and women do when Paul was saying to husbands, Husbands, love your wife. And just like you nurture yourself, Every day, you are to nurture your wife. You are to care for your wife. You are to so love your wife in such a way that she is built up and nurtured. And he's going to say that in the context of saying, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. Christ nurt- nurtures the church. And so we see that there's a flow here that the n- church is nurturing believers. Paul was so bent on this where he said, I am warning and I am teaching and I am caring for believers so that someday I can present them complete in Christ. He, he wants to present them complete in Christ and so he's nurturing the churches. He so cares and he wants the pastors, that pastors nurture the sheep within the, in the church to do that. Now, here are three ways, I want you to see three ways in which we need to have and this is important because you need to say am i getting this is this church doing this and sometimes it's both sometimes members aren't putting themselves in the place for this to happen and so often churches drift losing their mission they get imbalanced, and they're focused on one thing not all the things the mission of god the church and so this is this is a call to every member here this morning to say am i living in this and this is a church as a whole to say, are we aligning ourselves to do this? And if we're not, we've got to do better. We need to say, are the ministries, are they just doing stuff? Are they doing this? The church needs to nurture believers in three important ways. There's probably more. And in fact, a lot of things so far that I've thought of, I think they fit under these three categories. I want you to see them. Number one, familial. Yes, that's a strange word. Familial community. Familial community. Familial community. That word familial is just an adjective that is to modify community, a family-like community. Familial community, family-like community. The church nurtures you. And the church nurtures me. And I used this when I started this morning. I thanked you. I said, thank you for welcoming me into your family. And that's what it's supposed to be. The way young John... Imagine John who lives in Fenton, has never been part of the church or maybe he grew up in, in the church, but never it was real to his faith. He's 27 years old. He just got married. It's starting to have it. He just had they just had a kid and they know they're supposed to come to church. they come into church. They know they probably should have something. and he hears the gospel in the service of worship or in some ministry, or through some conversation that you have, and he receives it by faith, he starts to come to church. He needs to be nurtured. But so does that person that grew up and got saved at 12, and grew up and has a faith in God. He, that She needs to be nurtured, in number one, in familial community. The church nurtures believers by bringing them into a true family, Formed by our union with Christ. We're going to talk about that next Sunday. I want to talk about the fellowship of believers. And you're going to see fellowship isn't just social interaction of Christians. Fellowship is so profound, so deep, and so impacting in your life and my life. And we so often do not appreciate it. True family formed by our union with Christ... And it's enlivened by the Spirit and cared for by the shepherds and the gifts of each member. I'll say that again. The church nurtures believers by bringing them into a true family formed by our union with Christ. That's important. We are united with Christ. We're enlivened by the Spirit. This this family is not just something that's because the pastors really good at it. It just happens. If he's bad at it, there's nothing. No, there's a, there's actually the spirit of God that's working, and cared for by shepherds, the pastors and elders, the leaders in the church, as well as all the members who have been given gifts. The church is to be a warm relational experience, a family community. The, the scriptures calls it koinonia, which is fellowship. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers, they all of a sudden found themselves being part of a union that they never thought they would be a part of. And that's what you are a part of. And we are to enter a family community. We are to enter a family community to obey and live out the one another command, such as, just as I have loved you, Jesus said, you are to love one another. That's family. That means... We have to be in such a family relationship in a church where we are to outdo one another in showing honor, according to Paul in Romans 12, or to contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality and rejoice with those who rejoice because we actually learn what they're rejoicing about because we got into their life because they're my family. And weep with those who weep because I know their pains and I suffer with them. Live with Live in harmony with one another. Or first Corinthians twelve twenty-four, care for one another. Ephesians four thirty two, be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another as Christ has forgiven you. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, Ephesians five twenty-one. There is a family community that if you're a believer and you come into the church which you you are to be, you come into a family community where you are now part of a family. And, and in that family, you have then, in addition to that, been given a pastor and pastors. God's intention is for not just one pastor, but we have we have some pastors here and God is gifting leaders. A lot of the deacons for, serve in some areas of, of pastor-like care where they shepherd you. And we are to do what Paul said to the elders. Care pay careful attention to yourself and the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. There is a care, there's a nurturing. How else do we take what the Hebrews writer said at the end of Hebrews when he said, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your soul. So that as those who will give an account Let them do that with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. What this is saying is when you become part of the church, you're coming into such a nurturing atmosphere. You are to be that. You're to come into a family atmosphere where there are shepherds and pastors who are watching over you that someday when they're in heaven, they're going to give account for you. Wow. That That is what God has designed for the church. We are the household of God. We are the family of God. We are brothers and sisters. And we are in Christ. That's, that's the first aspect of nurture. Second, if the church is going to be a nurturing church by serving believers, not only are we a family, are we familiarly a familial community, but secondly we are an we are about intentional discipleship. We are about intentional discipleship. Discipleship has meanings in a lot of ways. Some people think discipleship means we sit in a class. Yes, I took that discipleship class. I got a certificate. That's not discipleship. Discipleship is God. It it is the church nurtures believers by teaching all that Jesus has commanded. Discipleship is teaching all that God has commanded through Christ imitating following of Jesus and walking with others to help them follow Jesus. The church is a place where you come in, that John that's 27 years old is a new believer, he comes in. Not only does he need a new family, but he has someone, an older brother in Christ. And it might might be the pastor, but it shouldn't only be the pastor. But it might be Jay, and it might be Lee, and it might be one of you in here that will come and will say, Hey, come, follow me as I follow Jesus Christ. Let's have coffee on a regular basis and read the Word of God together. And as we read the Word of God together, let's do it with the purpose of seeing what God's will is for our lives. And helping him see how the Word of God impacts his marriage and his parenting, and how he thinks about his work, and how he thinks about the habits that he has. And all all that is formed and foundational around what it really means that Christ died for his sins. The church is, if if we're going to be a nurturing church, we need to do what the Great Commission says. Go make disciples teaching all that I've commanded you. That means we have to have places where we teach the Word of God publicly like this and in small groups and in one-on-one. There is an intentional discipleship of life-touching life. I pray that this church will continue to grow and will grow in a way that we will pursue not just family relationships, which we must do and we must grow in, true deep, deep fellowship, which we'll see next week, but intentional discipleship, where there is a culture, a mindset of men and women women more spiritually, more mature spiritual believers who are humble, gracious, and understand the gospel, take younger not just younger in age, but just new to the faith, and watch over them and care for them, and intentionally say, "Hey, would you follow?" You don't have to say it like this, but you say it like, but you mean it like this, like Jesus said. Follow me as I follow Jesus. Follow me just as as far as I follow Jesus. That's what Jesus did. He walked with his disciples, so we are to walk life-touching life. This includes a kind of a counseling type of ministry that the pastors do in the church to the the congregation, but it's much more than that. It's us counseling each other, reminding each other of the word of God, having that true fellowship that we will see next week. is the church nurtured through those first two, the the familial community and intentional discipleship, but number three, through everyone serving. The church is nurtured with everyone serving. We need to have a mentality, and that's one of the core values of Faith Baptist Church, is a mentality of everyone serving and using his gift. That doesn't mean we just create a bunch of busy work so everybody can do something and feel good about themselves. That's not the purpose of this. But what it is the purpose is that every one of you should look and say, I'm, I don't necessarily need to have a formal job or role in this church. That, that might be good for some of you, but it, that's not the point. It is to say that I need to function in this church to use what God has given me as a a gift to bless others and to build and edify one another up. This is what I wrote down about everyone serving. The church nurtures believers by helping every member recognize that God has given them gifts to be used for their joy, for the joy of others in the church family, and for the good of the world. There is no better place that describes this than in 1 Corinthians 12. That's a sermon in and of itself. I'm going to only touch on it. 1 Corinthians 12 says that we are a body, and we are a body, and just as a body has many different different elements, he calls it members. We have ears and nose and eyes and fingers and feet and hands. Just as a body has many members, but it is one body, so the church has is one body with many members, and you are a member of that body. You have been given a gift or gifts. You have been given, and so you have, an, you have a, per, and he says, "What one member of the body shouldn't say to the other the member of the body, I don't need you. No, we need, no one said the nose doesn't say, I'm, I'm a nose, I'm really proud of my noseness, and I'm glad, I wish everybody else was a nose. No, the nose is really glad that there is other parts of the body that contributes to that nose. The hands get things out of the ways when the nose is bothered. The feet move and leave. But here's the thing. Each one of you, and I'm not just talking about grown adults, where you've reached that adulthood. There's teens here that you are emerging adults. You are called to be young men and women right now follow Jesus. And God's spirit is in you. You have been saved. He is gifting you. He's calling you to build up the church and be edified. And this is God's plan. And this is part of the way in which you're being nurtured by using your gift. It's not just how many times have you served and went, man, I was more blessed than who I blessed. I was more encouraged because I got to serve than who I, who served me, than that I actually served somebody. But yes, they were blessed as well. I want you to see this. This is God's intention. It's that we worship Him and we nurture believers. And in that nurturing, that nurturing happens when we become a family. And in that family, there is intentional discipleship. And in that intentional discipleship comes out the, fun, the the equipping, the equipping of using our gifts. Every one of us. And so those equipping of using our gifts, they're actually now serving one another by doing discipleship or helping people feel like they're in the family. Some of that using of your gifts are taking place right here or right in the back there or in right now in in the nursery as they serve us. They are using their gifts right now to minister to us so that parents can be in here while their kids are graciously being cared for or in junior church. I have a lot of scripture passages about this and I, I encourage you to read them. We'll We'll, get, we'll, we'll send out a link to how you can get to these notes. But here, here, I want us to share that God intends for this church to nur- nurture believers in these ways. Number three, the, the third big point. So now let's step back here. The, the church exists to worship God by worship, serving God, to nurture, serving believers of the church. Three, evangelism and mercy. We must not leave this out. The church critically, crucially, exists. And frankly, you would not be here today unless somebody did evangelism and acts of mercy. You might go, I grew up in a Christian home, but if you take your family tree, eventually you would say, it's because someone preached the gospel to someone else, and that's why I'm here today, ultimately. Or you were, you had the gospel preached to you in your own home. Your parents brought you before the gospel. The, the gospel. The church exists to evangelism and mercy. Evangelism is our proclaiming the gospel, our speaking the truth of the gospel in such a way that people hear it, and then inviting them to receive and accept the gospel by faith and repentance. And the church exists. That, that is the call that we find in the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations. Go be my witnesses to the end of the earth. We find Paul doing that and then passing that on to the church. The gospel needs to be proclaimed. Our neighbors need it. Our family needs it. Our world needs it. This is, this is global missions. It's not just something we do once a year. We are to be about missions here and across the world. And I put these two things. We are to be about evangelism and mercy. These are serving the world. This church isn't just to be a little holy huddle, nurturing ourselves so we're just this great little Christian club that just feels so comfortable. No. We are to worship God, letting unbelievers come and see what kind of God we have. He's glorious. Because we've been nurtured. And we're being nurtured in that worship. And with the use of everybody in the body, this family we have, and we do it as a light in the world. We are shining out into that world with acts of love and faith. Acts of kindness and embrace and mercy and Flint and in our neighborhoods. To those who are poor and needy. To those, the acts of mercy, I distinguish these things. Evangelism is the direct bringing the gospel into someone's life. It's bringing God's love in word and power. Mercy is God's love in action and power through acts of kindness, visiting orphans and widows, as Paul said, or, or James says, that religion is pure and undefiable for God, is visiting the orphans and widows and their affliction to keep oneself unstained from the world. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, you are the salt of the earth, you are the, a light in the world, you are to be shining forth as so we graciously love people. There is a reason why we would go and serve. This question was asked to me when I was asked to during our candidate Sunday, someone asked me, is there a purpose in the church for going out to do this ministry in the community that doesn't have preaching of the gospel, but say we'll help widows or we'll help um, um, single moms and, and is actually maybe not a direct Christian ministry that we would be involved in care about those type of things? Absolutely. Now, we will not ever disconnect it from helping them. S- praying for and caring that their greatest need is taken care of, and that is that they have a relationship with God in Christ. But we as a church, as we grow together, we need to say, are we a people who are bringing the gospel, reaching out? Are we reaching out in mercy? That happens when a church is nurtured. But that nurture must be tested by it. it's not just a nurture that's in and of itself. It's about reaching out and loving outside of us. Which leads me, finally, and you have in your notes, I just want to list these seven commitments. If you want to, when I, when I go through these seven, we'll just leave them on the screen for a little while so you can write them down if you want to. This is just a summary. And I, I want to say it to you because as your pastor, and as deacons, because the deacons are actually going to look at these in a few weeks when we gather on Saturday morning in two weeks. Seven commitments the church must make. Seven commitments Faith Baptist Church must make. One, gospel-centered worship. Two, familial community. We must be committed to nurturing through relationships and shepherding care. Number three, we must be committed to intentional discipleship. We must, four, be committed to everyone serving or at least creating a culture and helping you serve in ways that will bring you joy and others joy. Five, We must be committed to faith-filled evangelism. We must not just say, talk about it, but we must do it together. And we encourage you to do it where you are called and where you are living. Number six, ministries of mercy. Some of you are, many of you are doing that. I've heard from you. You You're doing it in different inner cities. You're doing it in your own community. We need together to pray for you, to let your testimony inspire us to pursue ministries of mercy. It might be just in your neighborhood because there is a great need just down the street that needs mercy the mercy of God that you can show them. And number seven, this is really important, keeping these balanced. That's the hard thing and it's very important. We as a church must not take one of these things and say that's our thing or three things and say that's our thing we're to say these this is the church this is our mission these things we must keep in balance we can't just be a church that man we just have awesome worship that nothing happens other than that no there, if that's the case it's not awesome worship it's not really impacting we we aren't just a church that just meets in family but everybody is closed off that's called a clique or or a a ministry that all we do is go out and we are building within and having a place for those that are reached to come in and find the love of Jesus. So I conclude with this. So what? What does this mean for you and me? What does this mean for you and me? I I'm, I, I'm, I just want to challenge you in two areas. One, be wow. God designed for there to be a thing called the church that you are part of and he cares that you would be nurtured. Just let that sink in for a minute. Before you go on to duty, what your duty is right now for this, just be like, man, God, you're so good. You died for my sins, and you didn't leave me in my sins, and you didn't leave me there alone until you someday return but you have a place, a people, that you are uniting me to be part of, to worship you now and forever. You have died for my sins, and you have me united to a people that will show off God's glory by loving one another, because we're all sinners, and we are unlovely at times, and we need forgiveness, and we're going to gather together to be that. In Christ, you died for me, and you are making me beautiful, the church. First of all, just be amazed by that. And then ask yourself, what does this mean for me? What does this mean for me? If you are a believer in Christ, you are part of the body of Christ. If you are a Christian, having been saved by faith, have received Christ, You are a member of the body of Christ. Are you? Here's the question. It's not. Are you? You should start being a member of the body of Christ. You already are a member of the body of Christ. Are you functioning as a member of the body of Christ, or are you a member that is just inactive and just not? It's just useless. To convict us and challenge us, I challenge you to: Are you taking part in this new family? Are you being equipped? Are you growing as a disciple and reaching out to disciple others? Are you serving and using your gifts, your money, your talents, your time? I I do want to make a personal challenge, especially to the men here, is that as we get going here, I, I, I would love to encourage you, And help equip you. It's not just me. I want to equip you so that you can equip others. Or challenge you as I get to know you to say, hey, you need to start equipping others right now because you're ready. But I would love to get together with you and talk with you and pray with you and have lunch with you. and, And just see what God is doing in regards to this intentional discipleship as we are a body. If there are some in this room, God, that just needs to be ushered into this church. I pray that they would right now hear these words, Father. They would hear that you died for their sins. If They look to you. If they find these words of wanting to be part of the church, wanting to be part of this plan that you have designed, I pray that you would draw them in right now through trusting and faith in Christ. And I pray that you would do what you ask what you had Paul say to the church that ye, and pray for the church, that you would fill us all with spiritual wisdom and understanding about the church and the purpose of the church so that we would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to you, bearing fruit and increasing in every good work. In Jesus' name. Or your soul. He will lead you in paths of righteousness for his name even though you will walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You fear no evil for he is with you. His rod and his staff will comfort you. He will prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemy. He will anoint your head with oil and overflow your cup. Surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. and You shall dwell